Direct your attention now to the Word of the Lord. We are in our series this summer on the parables of Christ. And Dr. Mark Fulmer, who's preaching the next two hours, has selected this particular parable to be the one we look at for the day. And it is found in Matthew 7, verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Is there anyone here this morning, I wonder, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but is there anyone here who does not understand this parable? When you first read this parable, you think, what? kind of exposition and explanation and elaboration is needed. Matthew places this parable at the conclusion of what we know as the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus spoke. This parable is pretty straightforward. It's actually a simile. Something is like something. And it's Twofold, mirror image. The one that hears the words of Jesus, does them, is wise. And it is though he builds his house upon a rock. In other words, the words of Jesus are to be heard but also to be performed. There's to be hearing of the word. Faith comes by hearing. But then there is the obedience. The obedience of faith working. And that's the way Jesus says the wise men, the wise person, structures their house or their life. This is a little bit of a hint of the book of Proverbs that talks a lot about wisdom. And in one passage says, wisdom builds her house. Contrasting to that is a single negative. The one who hears, but does not keep the words is like a foolish person who builds on sand. There is no more foolish thing than building upon the sand. I just in studying a little bit for this particular passage, I ran across a passage I'd never paid much attention before. It's in the book of Job, Job chapter four. And it's one of the parts of the speech of Eliphaz as he comforts Job and he makes this observation, can mortal man be right before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? 
How much more those who dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed like the moth. Some say that Job is the oldest piece of literature that we have in our canonical scripture. And if it is, then this notion of building a house on dirt, sand, dust, is an ancient notion. And it's manifestly obvious. I remember just a couple of weeks ago, we were privileged to take a few days off and go down to South Padre on the beach there. And I've noticed this over the years, but I just particularly noticed it since I don't move as quickly as I used to. I used to run the beach and now I barely walk the beach. And I was in the shallow water, the water probably somewhere between my ankles and my knees walking along the beach there and the waves would come in and the waves would go out. And uh, I had a little cramp in my calf, so I stopped and stood there in the water for a moment. And as I stood there, the sand was firm and level, but then a little wave came in. And I noticed there was a little shifting of that sand. And then another wave came in and out And there was even more radical shifting of the sand. And by the time the third wave came in and out, I had lost my balance. It had completely, just that mild wave had taken completely out from under me, my foundation. Well, that's obviously what's being talked about here. The Lord is drawing on the most ancient, the most obvious and simple, stark imagery to teach us something. And while it is a delightful little song to sing, the wise man built his house upon the rock. Remember the little song we sang? Nevertheless, this passage is a passage in the preaching of Christ that is extremely serious. And it is a passage of judgment. In fact, In context, as I mentioned, Matthew places this teaching of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount. The very passage just before that says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Judgment on that day. A hundred or more times in the ancient prophets, they talked about a day. On that day, when that day comes, and almost always it's a reference to the last day, and most of the references are to that day as a judgment day. And Jesus picks up that theme right here in the Sermon on the Mount as he's preaching to the masses of the people. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? These are people who really thought they were believers. Beyond that, they were God's servants. They were preaching. They were casting out demons. They were performing mighty works. This is a group of people that have been right in the heart 
of the Lord's will. They've heard the Lord's word. They've been assembled among God's people. They have gone forth to preach and teach and do that which God would have them do, it seems. And yet, they have not done the will of the Father. A large amount of the preaching of the prophets in the Old Testament was to Israel. We'll look at a passage in just a moment, the passage that this imagery comes from, Isaiah 28. And the whole text of Isaiah 28 is addressed to two groups of people, the prophets and the priests. And it's addressed to both the northern kingdom, who he calls the drunkards of Ephraim, and the southern kingdom, who the prophet calls the scoffers of Jerusalem. Those are the two capital cities of the kingdoms. This is God preaching to his own people. No wonder Peter was keenly aware of the fact that judgment begins in the house of the Lord. And that was the urging of the early apostles was for Israel to get her house in order, to get her house built upon the solid foundation. Notice in that day, the Lord will say, I will declare to them, I never knew you. We talk about knowing the Lord. Oh, how much more it is vital that we know that the Lord knows us. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Does that sound like the same person that says, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden? Who would then say on that day, depart from me. I never knew you. You're a worker of lawlessness. You're disobedient. You're unrighteous. You're unfit. You're impure. You're immoral. You have honored me with your lips, but your hearts have been far from me. Pretty serious judgment. You'd think that would be enough to close the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> but then, the next portion of the sermon is our text for today. An even more solemn Warning, because at the end of it, there is a fall of a house, and great is the fall. And the fall of the house is your house if it's not built upon the rock, if it's not built upon the right foundation, if it is not founded and grounded on the person of Jesus Christ. And all that he has done, and all that he has said, and all that he currently does and will do. Luke, when he gives his account of this message from the Lord, he, he, he fleshes it out in a lot of detail. And I've debated whether or not reading, but it'll only take a minute. Listen to this. Look how Luke begins this passage. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you. Can you hear the serious, ominous tone 
in this teaching from Jesus. Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. That might be one of our problems. We've not dug deep. We've only been interested in a shallow grace, a cheap grace, a grace that we sing about is amazing, but yet it's not the grace of God that brings salvation. The work of repentance has not been dug into our hearts. The turning from our sin, the dying to our sin, the, the leaving behind, the putting off of the old man has not been done. We have not followed through. We've had a form of godliness, but we've denied the power of it. And the foundation is not laid. It is easy to get consent and assent to the teaching of Christ, to the proclamation of the gospel. But it takes a deep digging into the soul, a work of grace that has to be worked out and sweated through. to lay a foundation of grace, to come to know the Lord. The Lord himself never backed away from this. He said, you must deny yourself. That's not denying yourself stuff. That's denying yourself. You deny yourself to yourself. Where the humble prayer must always be, not my will, Lord, but thine be done. Have we dug deep and laid the foundation, the rock? And when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them, that is my words, is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of the house was great. It's interesting here that there's no mention made of the quality of the structure. You can build a fine brick house on a sand dune. You can build a moral life on a natural foundation, which is no foundation. But you can have the most modest of structures built on the solid rock and it will sustain the storm. But this imagery that Jesus uses was not his originally. He pulled it out forward from the prophet Isaiah. And give me a moment and I'll kind of walk you through that couple of key verses in that chapter. Chapter 28, verse 16. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, 
of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste, and I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. The hail will sweep away the refuge of lies. The waters will overwhelm the shelter. Then your covenant with death will be annulled and your agreement with Sheol will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge passes through, you will be beaten down by it. You see the picture that Isaiah pictures is talking to the drunkards of Ephraim and the scoffers of Jerusalem. And he preaching to the priests and to the prophet. These were the ones that had done great works in the name of the Lord. These are the ones that had, that had preached. These are the ones that had taught, that had rendered judgment, that had performed the priestly and the prophetic duties in the house of Israel. And yet these were the ones that had rejected the stone. And in Psalm 118, which has its primary reference to King David, you remember King David was rejected by the authorities of his day, but he'd been anointed by the prophet Samuel. And God honored that and placed David on the throne. And they said the stone which the builders rejected has become not only useful in building the structure, but it become the foundation stone and the cornerstone, the two critical stones of any foundation, laying out the dimension and the direction and the solidity and the firmness of the foundation. And that's who Jesus is. That's who he's declared to be several times in the New Testament. Peter in Acts 4, Paul again in Ephesians 2, and, and uh, Peter again in his epistle, declaring that Jesus is that rejected stone. It's a picture of builders getting together. I remember when my neighbor was building his house down on the ranch, and he he had a beautiful home and he was building it out of Austin stone. And I went over there and watched the laborers work for about an hour one day. And they had the scaffolding set up and there was a, a, a master mason who was up there chipping and shaping those stones and fitting them in where they needed to go. And if one didn't fit, he would look around and he would have in front of him just an array of maybe a half dozen stones. That's all right there on the scaffold with him. And he would choose and select among those because prior to having those stones, there was another worker who was down at the rock pile right there at the corner of the yard. And he was pulling out all kinds of stones and he was accepting some and rejecting others and laying them aside and making a pile of similar size stone. And he was working these stones. And then finally he would get just one that he felt like was the right stone. And then he would, after a minute or two, he'd take the wheelbar and push over and then he would go up that scaffold and lay those stones out. First skill is to pick the stone. The second skill is to shape the stone and then to place the stone. And that's what God is. He's the master mason. He first of all picks out the stone and the stone he has selected, the one he has laid as a foundation is Jesus Christ, the beloved son, the chosen one, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who like David had been set aside to in time become the one who would be the cornerstone 
And then he had shaped the stone, chipping off corners here and there and around to make the stone into the perfect stone that it needed to be. And then he had laid the stone. And that's the picture here. Behold, the Lord says, I am the one who's laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone. What do you think Jesus was doing in the wilderness with the wild beast and with Satan and with hunger and with thirst and with privations? He was being tested. What was happening to Christ in the garden of Gethsemane? He was being tested and tried. There was no faults in this stone. There was no weakness in this stone. He's a tested stone. He's the perfect stone. He's the stone that has passed muster in every regard. A precious cornerstone. The prophet Isaiah, I love that word, a precious. By the time you take a pile of rocks and you find the stone, it's precious. It's one in a million. It is the fairest. It's the treasure that you need to sell everything else you have and buy that true tested stone. It's a stone that was tested. Jesus was tested not just for his own metal and his own soundness and his own fitness and his own perfections to prove but he was tested on your behalf, in my behalf. Because our father, when he was tested in the garden, failed the test. Adam sinned. And we, when we're tested in paradise, are in the garden, are in the wilderness, or almost any place else, we fail. But Jesus is that tested tried and true stone, a precious stone, a sure foundation. And poor old Isaiah being the evangelist, he can't get through one passage of Scripture without talking about salvation. Whoever believes. Whoever believes. Interesting number, verse 17 there in Isaiah 28 says, I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. Now if you're reading that kind of quickly, you'll think, well, that's just typical Hebrew parallelism where those two sentences, those two statements are saying about the same thing. Well, they are, but, but they're, they're painting the full picture. I will make justice the line. The line is the line that lays out the foundation. I know you've seen construction sites where they drive stakes and after they've surveyed it and laid it out just perfectly, they put a real stout cord, a string across there with the little flags on it that marks the line. That's where the true foundation stone will be laid. That's where the house will be built. That's where the structure will stand. That's where the walls will be, the outer walls, the strong walls. And the standard on that dimension is justice. Justice is very important to the Lord. We've gotten pretty fuzzy in our justice in our culture. <laughs> we sort of don't know right from wrong and we don't know law from, from not. And we don't know who's keeping it and who's disobeying it and, and judges are corrupted and prosecutors are corrupt and 
and criminals are getting away and the righteous are being punished and justice is, is slippery and, and doesn't follow a true... But the Lord has a straight line in His justice. And one slight degree of deviation off of that line will bring judgment to you and great will be the fall of your house. Now notice the next line. The next line talks about the other dimension and righteousness, the plumb line. Well, you know in construction, you hang the plumb line and you drop it. It has the plumb there with the metal that falls and as it falls down, it keeps perfectly perpendicular, up and down, straight. Not just the line horizontal on the floor, but the, the height line is the plumb line. And righteousness, the righteousness of God that exceeds our righteousness, the righteousness that must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees is what Jesus demands. And that is the plumb line. And then he describes the, the storm. The hell will sweep, the waters will overwhelm. Let me close with just reading one passage of Scripture. This is a passage we looked at not too long ago when we studied Acts. But it's Peter preaching before the Jews, the leadership, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the council. And listen to what he says to them. Let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel. That would include the drunkards of Ephraim as well as the scoffers of Jerusalem, wouldn't it? All the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead before you, this God is the, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. What's the point, Peter? Next verse. There is no salvation in anyone else, for there is no other name under heaven given by, among men by which we must be saved. We must be saved. 